What is the foundation of the Christian faith based upon? What is the answer to doubts about Jesus and the Christian gospel? It is important to be honest, not just to drift along. The Bible is very open about this. Remember how John the Baptist, after he was arrested, sent a question to Jesus from prison. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, in the 19th verse, we read, And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he who should come, or look we for another? And the psalmist said in Psalm 73, verse 2, But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Doubts and questions are honestly faced. There is an answer. And in Luke chapter 24, we see what the foundations of the Christian church are built on. We see the path to faith and assurance. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, we know that verse 1 tells us it was the first day of the week, very early in the morning. And in verse 13, we see that two went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, or perhaps about seven miles, about the same distance as walking from Peel to Glenvine. These two walked together, verse 14, and were reasoning together, verse 15. As they were walking and reasoning, and I don't imagine they were walking at top speed. The walk was perhaps three hours long. It is as they walked along in this debate, together this time of questioning that they were joined by Jesus but in verse 16 we see their eyes were holden that they should not know him they were joined by Jesus but they didn't recognize him and we see firstly that they were in a time of doubt and despondency. As Jesus drew near, he noticed their deep conversation and questions. He took this as a teachable moment 
using questions to draw out their problems, to clarify their thinking, the reasons for their despondency. As he said in verse 17, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? We read the reply there in verse 18. Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And Jesus didn't directly answer, but brought a very short question to draw them out further. What things, he said. And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Jesus drew them to pour out their problems, their questions, concerns. There's a lesson to be learnt here. So often, before we can help someone... We need to listen to them explain the matter in their own words. We need to listen and relate to what they say. Their animated discussion and sad appearance was obvious to Jesus. But he wanted to hear what they said and so opened the door for his teaching. Notice, verse 19 makes clear that these two had a very high view of Jesus, describing him as having been a mighty prophet, a prophet mighty in deeds. They had seen the miracles, known their power, and also they describe him as mighty in word. His deeds, his words were mighty before God and all the people. They knew the truth of the officer's words who had failed to arrest Jesus. In John chapter 7 verse 46, when they were challenged about why they hadn't brought him in, we hear the explanation. Never man spake like this man. Then there's the crowd in Nazareth who heard him read from Isaiah chapter 61. Verse, Luke chapter 4 verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Jesus' teaching was mighty and powerful. His miracles were wondrous. These two had seen in Jesus their hope. 
the hope that it should have been him who would redeem Israel. They had hoped, it seems, that Jesus would come and transform their situation. No longer would the nation be oppressed by Rome. The glory days would return. The true worship would be exalted. But instead, what had happened? Verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Instead of the acclaim of the crowds when Jesus rode into Jerusalem just one week earlier, leading to deliverance from national humiliation, Jesus had ended up condemned to death and completely humiliated on the cross. From the excitement and joy of the crowd crying out, Hosanna! Everything had gone dark at the cross and they were filled with confusion and despondency. Even reports of an empty tomb. Verse 22. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen also a vision of angels, which said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went into the sepulchre and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Even reports of an empty tomb. The testimony of the angels reported by the women and those who had seen the tomb was empty had done nothing but add to their confusion. So they had left Jerusalem making the long journey to Emmaus with heavy confused hearts and minds. The disciples of Jesus were not expecting him to adopt. The disciples of Jesus were not expecting him to die and were definitely not eager to believe he had risen from the dead. They were, however, open and honest about their doubts and concerns. They had been discussing these matters with each other and then with Jesus when he inquired of them. Secondly, notice that Scripture is the way to faith and assurance. It seems that these two in all their discussions and reasoning, were not making anything better. However, Jesus had the answer to their problem. He turned to Scripture and used it to teach them clearly what it said. Sadly, 
There is a serious misunderstanding among some these days. They say that we should stop confusing people with the Old Testament. We should even lay aside the New Testament. Just tell people about the resurrection of Jesus, they say. That's all that matters. That's the great truth that people need to hear. And it is said that after Jesus rose again, the apostles preached this without a Bible. And that indeed it was many years later before the church had a Bible to use as a supplemental witness to Jesus' resurrection. The claim is that if you use the Bible, you will only end up with such things as creation, God's law, and his teaching about morality being a stumbling block to modern thinking people. Just stick to the resurrection and you can go to these other matters later. This way of thinking is completely wrong. When we read the Gospels and Acts, it is very quickly apparent that the truth of Christ's resurrection was not proclaimed in a vacuum. Rather, as with Jesus here on the road to Emmaus, or Peter on the day of Pentecost, the Bible was opened up and expounded to teach clearly the suffering and resurrection of the Messiah. What Bible did they use? Jesus here describes it as Moses and the prophets. We know it as the Old Testament. But this was the Bible that Jesus used and the Bible used by the apostles in the time of the book of Acts. There is a consistency in the word of God. The suffering, the death and resurrection of the Messiah was not a new idea. It had always been the consistent teaching of Genesis through Malachi. Notice carefully the words of Jesus here. Verse 25. O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Their problem was not that they had rejected Scripture but that they had only seen part of what was said about the Messiah. They had seen his coming glory, but had skipped over the rejection and suffering. We need, too, to be careful, for there is a real danger that we will dwell on a few favorite verses and fail to learn from the fullness of God's revelation to us. It is easy, then, to become very unbalanced. Verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a study this must have been. Perhaps up to three hours Jesus took time to show them what the words of Scripture meant. It is not recorded what he said, but we have some references in the New Testament to get us started. 
just a couple of examples. John chapter 3 verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus pointed them back to Numbers 21, when the people had been dying because of the snake bites. Humanity lifted up Jesus to die on that cross. But it was on the path to his resurrection and exaltation. It was through his death, his being lifted up on that cross, that people are saved. Just as those Israelites had to lift up their eyes and fix them on the brazen serpent, so must we lift up our eyes, the eyes of faith, and fix them on Christ who was crucified on the cross. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 we read, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the grave. We are to look to Christ. Not only in his death, but in his resurrection. And we will be saved. In Matthew chapter 12 verse 38 we read, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was teaching very clearly that just as Jonah was cast into the sea, but then restored to life when cast upon the dry ground, so Messiah would be buried and rise from the tomb once more. Jonah was the deliverer of those in the city of Nineveh, and so is the type of Christ. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached from Joel, and then he turned to Psalm 16 to prove that Messiah would die, but that the grave would not be able to contain him. We read at verse 27, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. David, in writing... That psalm had been speaking as a prophet. His words were foretelling that the promised Messiah 
would be placed in a tomb, but his body would not decay. It would not see any corruption. Indeed, that tomb would not be able to hold him. Even as a mother about to give birth cannot contain the baby, but it must come out. So Christ would arise, and he did. He gloriously rose from that tomb, and the stone was rolled away to let people look in and see the folded grave clothes. Jesus was raised up. We today have a great high priest. And the book of Hebrews takes us through some aspects of the Mosaic economy, of that priesthood, and those sacrifices and demonstrates that they did not and could not deal with the problem of sin. But they foreshadowed the great high priest and his sacrifice who would make one offering for sin forever. A great high priest who is now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on High, the great high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, from the promise of Genesis 3 verse 15, where it is clearly stated that the, the seed of the woman would defeat Satan, but in so doing would have his heel hurt. To the promise given to Isaiah of one who, who would suffer and make his grave with the rich. And such psalms as Psalm 22, where Messiah is seen in his humiliation on the cross. The Old Testament is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at the days of the judges and the kings, you see some were terrible, some were better than others. But each of these was supposed to deliver the people from evil, to bring them to serve the living God. Each of them was a type of the coming Messiah. And each of them brings out something of how it's impossible for a mere man to bring about that deliverance. And we can see David as a lad take on Goliath. And when you think of him, think of Christ taking on Satan and winning the victory. Take time to read the Old Testament and look for what it teaches us about Christ. We are blessed 
We're having the New Testament as well. Though the Word of God is complete, we can read the fulfillment of what is described in the Old. We can read the accounts of how Jesus lived, his miracles, his teachings, his mission on the cross, and the details of his glorious resurrection from the tomb. Our problem is that like the two on the road to a mess, so often we are slow to believe all of what the Scripture says. Thirdly, let us see that discouraged doubters became lively witnesses after these two saw clearly that it was Jesus who had talked with them on the way and who had opened up the Scriptures. They were so excited that they got back on the road straight away. They just had to go and tell the others back in Jerusalem all that they had learnt. And they say, verse 32, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the Scriptures? This was the effect of the exposition of Scripture. The word they heard was mixed with faith. But they were not hearers only, but doers also. For we see in verse 33, they arose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Verse 35, they told the others all about Christ's visit with them and how he'd opened up the Scriptures for their understanding. Their reaction had been immediate. They wanted to share the exciting news. And I'm reminded of how when Philip heard the call, John chapter 1 verse 43, from Jesus to follow me, he took action, verse 45, and finding Nathanael, he saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses spoke in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The two on the road to Emmaus were transformed and energized by the teaching of Scripture that they had received. This had directly led to them turning from their doubts to bring their message of assurance uh, to the others in Jerusalem also. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ has left his disciples here for. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me. We have been entrusted with the most amazing truth in the world. The eternal Son of God became a man, taking on himself the form of a servant, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But he did not remain in the tomb. It could not hold him. He rose in triumph. He is alive. His saving work is complete. This is the whole central focus of the Bible. 
from beginning to end. How sad it is if we are ignorant of its contents. How many blessings we miss out upon through not hearing what God has said unto us. The Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. This is the glorious truth that we have presented to us throughout Scripture. God's Word is our foundation. God's Word brings assurance to our hearts. It seems foolish to many in the world around us. We must remember, though, that the natural man receiveth not the things of God. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in the proclamation of the Word. We need boldness, that holy boldness, to proclaim it. We need the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of those who receive it. We scatter the seed. We seek to water the seed. But it is the Lord that gives the increase, gives the harvest in due season. Let us pray the Lord of the harvest that he will raise up laborers onto the harvest. Men equipped and ready to take the word of God from Genesis through to Revelation and to proclaim it fully and clearly, to expound it, to bring out the meaning and apply it to our hearts, to our lives, that people may hear words whereby they might be saved, that we may hear words whereby we might be built up in this most holy faith. Amen. Our final hymn is number 570. A debtor to mercy alone. Of covenant mercy I sing. Not fear with thy righteousness on. My person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God. With me can have nothing to do. My Saviour's obedience and blood. Hide all my transgressions from view. 570. 